Phil Riken tells the story of a phone call that he got from a friend, which uh, began with his friend telling him, Phil, I need to ask you for the most valuable thing that you have. I'd be a little concerned about where this is going. What was it? Well, shortly, the friend told him. He was asking for some of his time. In the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, we've come to the fourth commandment this morning. And this one is really about making God the Lord of our time, Lord of our eye calendar, Lord of our schedules and our tickler and whatever else we use, the little notes that we stick everywhere to remind us what to do when, Lord of the investment of our minutes and our hours our days and our weeks, and building them around Him. It has been said that many of us worship at our work. We work at our play, and we play at our worship. But what if all of our life was actually ordered around the Lord so that our worship and our work and our play were all engineered to maximize our enjoyment of Him? Sound good? You guys ready to go? I would like that. In the Ten Commandments, I've uh, mentioned before, maybe a couple of times, that at least, at least nine and a half of the Ten Commandments are repeated and commanded of us in the New Testament. Well, today, we come to that half commandment, if you will. As followers of Christ, as we consider the Sabbath command, I'll just tell you this up front, there are some things that are eminently clear for us to believe and obey. And then there are some other things that are possibilities over which godly believers down through the ages have great disagreement. And not bitter disagreement, but great disagreement. And I think that's eminently okay, because I think it's based in conviction and based in Scripture. At the end of this week in wrestling through it, I was hoping to gain some ground on an understanding of where I should stand. And, and I can tell you, at the end of the week, I have become eminently clear on the fact that there are excellent arguments on both sides. That's what I've figured out. What I'd like to do this morning in light of that first is just point you to your notes, and you'll see there are several um, items in your second page of notes that are, are just the beginning of broader discussions to have when it comes to Sabbath and Sabbath keeping, and are we commanded to keep it today? And if so, then what would it look like? These are just beginning points. I'm not even going to have time to touch on any of that this morning, um, but those are excellent discussions. I think, though, for this morning, the best way for us to proceed is this. First, if God wills, we'll lay a foundation for exactly what was the Sabbath to the nation of Israel, because I don't think that is up for grabs at all. And then along the way in that first part, what I'd like to do is just take some, some prompts, some points to ponder for our further consideration, and I'm just going to leave those for you and for me to flesh out on our own, in our families, and alone with the Lord. And then, secondly, what I'd like to do is come back and look at just some broad-angle realities to help us apply and lead into our week and into this endeavor to make God the Lord of our time. 
First, the foundations for the nation of Israel. Foundation number one for the nation was that the Sabbath was a sign of allegiance. The Sabbath was a sign of allegiance. If you would, Exodus chapter 20, read with me, starting in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Of the Ten Commandments, the fourth is the longest, at least in terms of words. It's also likely the most repeated of the commandments. I couldn't verify that, but I think I can confidently say it's up in the top one or two of all of the commandments repeated in the Old Testament. There are some good reasons for that. First, the Sabbath was a sign of allegiance. Um, That's true in three ways. First, allegiance to the Lord. Allegiance to the Lord. By practicing the Sabbath, the Israelites were demonstrating to God himself that they were, in fact, his people. They had been purchased through all of the mighty miracles of Exodus, now assembled here at the foot of Sinai, given his law to establish them as his. And and they, for their part, in this treaty, in this covenant, agreement that they made with him would say, okay, we are indeed yours. And proof of it is just look what we do every Saturday every seventh day of the week. Isaiah 56, verse 4, if you want to jot it down. By the way, I'm going to rattle off a lot of verses today. For the sake of time, if you want, you can jot them down. We'll turn to a couple, but you can jot them down and look later. Isaiah 56, 4, the Lord says, Those who keep my Sabbaths and do what pleases me. This is what he speaks of those who don't profane, who don't turn away from the covenant, but rather are faithful. He says, I take the keeping of the Sabbath as pleasure to me and the sign that you are mine. Stronger statement is Isaiah 58. Why don't you turn there? Because this is important enough of a passage. We'll probably reference it a couple of times. I don't want you to look at it. Isaiah 58, keep your finger in Exodus. Isaiah 58, starting in verse 13. This is what the Lord says through the prophet Isaiah. If, because of the Sabbath, you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, And you call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable. And you honor it, detesting, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word. Then you will take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Do you hear the blessing that there is inherent in the keeping of the Sabbath element of the covenant for the Israelites? I want you to notice one phrase that the first time I read it, it was some years ago, it stuck with me and has ever since. It's there in verse 13. If because of the the Sabbath, you turn your foot. Turn your foot from what? Your plans, your ways, your desires, your pleasures, your word. Does that mean that we are not to seek anything in any way that is for our own benefit? No, in fact, just the opposite. We are to so seek the Lord that we find all of our benefit in him, but we lay aside all of our other plans. We turn our foot from walking in that path of everything that we would just naturally do of our own. That is what the nation would do on the Sabbath. 
And that is what the Lord says, I see as a signal of your allegiance to me. That one day out of the seven, everything is given over to me. No more business as usual on such a day. Nehemiah is a great example of uh, the people wanting to conduct business and uh, bring in commerce through the gates. In fact, likely people in the nation who were not Israelites, tradesmen would come and they would walk through the gates with their burden and they would want to conduct business. And Nehemiah said, uh, yeah, no, now that we're rebuilding everything and we're reestablishing a nation, part of what we're going to do is we're going to keep the Sabbath. So when it gets dark on Friday evening, I'll go ahead and shut the gates and you'll make sure, you'll, you, you make sure to know if you're inside, you ain't leaving. And if you're outside, you ain't coming in because the gates will remain closed for the entire Sabbath day. By the way, Sabbath was sundown to sundown, so that's why it happened at that time. And in doing so, Nehemiah was signaling for the nation, we belong to the Lord and this is his day and it will not be business as usual. I think the real exclamation point on all of this is Exodus 31. You need to jot that down. Exodus 31, verses 13 and 17. That's where the Lord tells the nation that the keeping of Sabbath is the sign of the Mosaic Covenant. The keeping of the Sabbath is the sign that they are God's people under this covenant. The Sabbath was to signal to Yahweh that they were his. The Sabbath was to remember the covenant that was established with them at this time there at the foot of Mount Sinai. How do you think the Lord felt about the keeping of the Sabbath? He said, I take it as my joy and I will bless you in return. That's just one of the things it meant for the nation of Israel. The Sabbath was not only a sign of allegiance to the Lord, but also to the nations. It would be typical in that day for all the other nations in the known world to work seven days a week. I have uh, not done the research on all of them, uh, but trust me, if you've ever worked on a farm, if you've ever worked animals or worked crops, um, is it like, you only need to work like two or three days a week, and then everything kind of just takes care of itself. No, the animals get in trouble every single day. The, the, the plants need tending and weeding and, you know, all manner of, of other work pretty much every day. And you know that if you're a part of anything agricultural. It was a sign to the nations because the people of Israel were meant to look different. People were meant to be able to look at them and see the way they spent their days and just say, you know what, those people are just peculiar. Like, why, why, don't, why don't they come along and do what we do every time whenever we do it? They didn't have to tell them because their lives showed it. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? The, uh, the Sabbath command, by the way, was really an echo of what God first modeled and gave in creation. Did you notice it there in verse 11? Verse 11 gives us the foundation of where the Sabbath principle comes from. In six days, the Lord, Yahweh, made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. And then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You see, the reason why they were to take off this day, they were to turn their foot from their own concerns for themselves and to turn their attentions to God was so that they would emulate God. They could come and on that day enjoy just the fact that God was God and they were His. In so doing, they were proclaiming 
Yahweh is the creator of all things. Oh yeah, why do, you, why do you take off the seventh day? Because that's the day that the guy who made everything made rest. And so we rest just like he did. Not because he was tired. He made it that way for us. We're going to come back to that. And we want to be like him. And so they were emulating the very nature and the practice of Yahweh himself. It was a sign of their allegiance to Yahweh, to the nations. Third, it was a sign of allegiance to Israel themselves. Deuteronomy 5 is another very important passage. Deuteronomy 5 in verse 15, it says that this also is a sign for them to remember that they were slaves in Egypt and that Yahweh was their deliverer. Here, here in Exodus 20, the law is being given to the Exodus generation. But remember what happens? Everybody 20 years old and and 20 years old and older, with the exception of those you can count on one hand, will all die, and they will not enter the promised land. The law will be given to the Deuteronomy, or you can call it the Joshua generation, same group. The law is given a second time in Deuteronomy. It's really the same law. There's a few extra case law studies in the book of Deuteronomy, but it's essentially the same law. And when it's given in Deuteronomy 5, he tells the Joshua generation that this also is for their remembrance of their slavery. So every time they kept the Sabbath, they were to think, you know what, my forefathers, they didn't get a day off. They were slaves in Egypt. Uh, they, they, didn't, they didn't get to, you know, knock off early. If the taskmasters with their whips commanded them to work past sundown, they worked. If they told them to rise early, they rose. They didn't get this thing called rest, but we were rescued out of that. Do you think there's any sense in which the Sabbath for us might be a picture, a reminder of our deliverance from our slavery to sin? I think it could be. I think that would be a great discipline for us to pursue spiritually, to say, Lord, might this day and my keeping of it in some way remind me? In fact, might I even discipline myself to pursue a reminder in some way, get creative, that I'm no longer a slave to sin, I'm now a slave to a great master, and I'm free to serve him. Does not even just going to church in some way signify your allegiance? It does, doesn't it? Uh, unless the only reason our, you're here is because somebody twisted your ear and dragged you into the car. But otherwise, your presence here, be it ever so willing, is in some way a sign of your allegiance to God, a sign of your allegiance to God before the world, and a sign to yourself and a reminder, you know what, the Lord owes, owns all my days, and he's called me to come and gather. Just some thoughts to ponder. The Sabbath was a sign of allegiance. Second, the Sabbath ordered all of life around Yahweh. The Sabbath ordered life around Yahweh. That's what it did for the nation of Israel. Take a look. There it is in verse 9. Is it just one day a week that's being talked about here? No. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. It's funny, as an American, I would expect verse 9 to say, five days you shall work and then take a weekend. And then one of those days you ought to get, like, spiritual. That's what I would expect. It's not what it says. Does that mean you need to work more? I don't know. But it is interesting that all the other stuff that they needed to do in order to make life work was meant to fit in six days of a week. And so the Lord names 
that work, that labor in all those other days. And he says, now, in order to celebrate my day, you're going to have to do some stuff differently all the other days of the week. Do you think that's still true today? Well, you can come on Sunday morning, but if you were up late last night, chances are good you're falling asleep as I speak. I may put you to sleep anyway, but it's difficult to enter into the Lord's rest and richness if we have not prioritized the Sabbath day by virtue of how we've spent all of the other days. If you are going to choose to keep the Sabbath or keep the Lord's day in any meaningful way, then it is going to affect the way you spend the night before and the whole day before and in some sense the entire week leading up to it. Look again at verse 10. It not only ordered life around Yahweh by virtue of the calendar, but also by virtue of the cultural milieu, the society, the people. Verse 10 says this about the keeping of the Sabbath. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. And then he names who shouldn't work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. You see, the Sabbath was a gift. The Sabbath command is an opportunity for grace to the nation and grace given to an an entire culture so that the, the landowner, the entitled head of household could not say, well, Yahweh commands me to rest, so I will. Guess that means that y'all servants will work twice as hard today. You and your son, your male and your female servant, even your very animals See the graciousness of God? Exodus 23, in fact, you can jot down Exodus 23, 12. It's just a couple pages over from where we are. In fact, we'll specifically say that this is so that your own servants and your animals can be refreshed. In fact, you know, the Sabbath principle extends even further, doesn't it? Not only to people, not only to animals, but where else? To the very land itself. Every seventh year is a Sabbath. Every 50th year, seven sevens, afterwards they're to take the 50th year, the year of Jubilee, and give another rest to the land. In fact, you know when God judges the people for not keeping his covenant, and he says, Babylonians are coming, they're going to destroy you guys, and they're going to carry you off. You know how the Lord finishes that sentence? He says, so that for 70 years, my land will observe all of the Sabbaths that you failed to observe while you were in charge of it. I'm going to give my land rest because y'all didn't. See, what's amazing about this is it's a grace to every part of creation, in a sense, to show that God is Lord over all and all people are equal before him. The servant didn't have rights in most ancient Near Eastern cultures. The sojourner is mentioned here. That's the foreigner who's in the land. They didn't have rights in most other cultures. Sorry, you're not a citizen. You, you, don't, have, you don't have opportunity here. This is not your land. We are not your people. It's not your home. But the sojourner was meant to be given that rest and that refreshment. What a beautiful thing then that this is. And by the way, You can look at the Sabbath for all of its pragmatic benefits. And they're there, but they're not the reason why God gave Sabbath. There are tons of pragmatic benefits to rest, and we'll touch on some of them today. 
And the reason I'm bringing them up now, because we just talked about taking every seventh year off for the land, right? You ever heard of anything called, I don't know, crop rotation? <laughs> Modern day science has decided, hey, it's good if you let the land rest once in a while. I don't know. Too bad the ancient peoples never thought of that. And on it goes. We could continue. What the Sabbath does is order everything in life around Yahweh himself. If we want to stop at some point in our week, if we want to rest, if we want to worship on Sunday, the Lord's Day, then it will require us to radically reorder our Saturdays and, and even the rest of our weeks and, and even maybe at times our relationships. Is this the first time, by the way, that the nation of Israel hears about the Sabbath? Actually, it's not. We know that it's back there in creation. God rested. God Sabbathed. But there's no command there for the nation to Sabbath. How about the nation Sabbathing? Actually, there is mention of it already. Remember back when the manna was given? That's in Exodus 14. It's just four chapters ago. I know that was like a half a year ago. We've done some other stuff since then. Exodus 16. You remember how they were to gather manna? You remember how it worked? Every day you get up in the morning, you get enough for that day. With one exception, what? On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much. Because on the seventh, wasn't no manna. And the people that went out were really disappointed. If I only gathered what I needed for one day, and then I went out on the seventh day, I would be hungry all day, because ain't no manna. The Lord was already preparing and priming a people to let them know about this principle. But here's my point. On the sixth day, they had to do differently in order for the seventh day to work, right? And so there it was, ordering their life around him. So here's just a prompt to consider at this point. In light of what this was for Israel, is the Lord calling you in any way to change your other six days of the week in order to make the Lord's day a highlight? Maybe not, but maybe he is. And wouldn't it be sweet if he did? And you got the benefit of the richness of experiencing that. Third, for the nation of Israel, third foundation, the Sabbath day was a hallowed day. The Sabbath day was a hallowed day. Look and see what the Lord says about it in verse 8. Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Did he say, hey, take the Sabbath day and make it holy? That's not what he said. He said it's already holy. Why is it already holy? Well, you know the answer from what we already said. God set apart the seventh day. In fact, drop down to verse 11. There it is. For in six days the Lord made the heavens earth, seeing all this in them, rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God consecrated this one day in a very special way. He's already invested it with holiness. It says that twice in our passage. He's already invested it with a blessing that's what it says here in verse 11. So good question for us because most of us tend to live in that rhythm where we work five and we rest two. But for the nation of Israel, there was one day that was unique. It was hallowed because God made it special. He put a blessing on this day for them. So a prompt for us to consider is this. Are your Sundays and your Saturdays identical? Except for the fact that you got to get up and go to church. And that, by the way, is good. That's right. Do that. Yes. But once you're out that door, 
Does your Sunday basically look exactly like a Saturday? Your to-do list, your plans, your whatever. Now, now don't take too much guilt from this because we're going to wrestle with what exactly does it look like. And we may land in different places. We need to give grace to allow that. But all I want to encourage is there was one day that was specially devoted to the Lord. And even if you're not a strict Sabbatarian, I think the principle still holds. In fact, I know it holds to some degree. Do you give yourself, brothers and sisters, a special day, a special day every week that are free from the other strains of life? Or do you feel like, no, I'm not allowed to have that? Well, God gave that to his ancient people for all their generations. Do you give yourself a special day to seek the Lord, to recalibrate, to nourish your soul? Because consider, maybe, just maybe, God gave that to you. Fourth, the Sabbath, fourth foundation for Israel, the Sabbath was for rest, worship, gathering, and mercy. That's my best summary of everything the Sabbath is about. I'll say it again. The Sabbath was for rest, worship, gathering, and mercy. The rest is obvious. We get this no work, don't work, six days you work, then no more work. But it's the Isaiah 58 passage that tells us it it doesn't just mean I can't go out and lift rocks. It, It doesn't just mean I'm not supposed to write my proposal, if I was an ancient Israelite, for, you know, for what's going to happen this week. Now, Isaiah 58 says, no, this day is to turn my foot from my focus on everything I even need to get done. The point of the day is to turn my foot to the doing of the will of God, to rest from my ways so that I can rest in his ways. It's meant to be a protection for us, both from burnout and from just living a life of independence. Goodness sakes, if we can't do it one day a week, how are we going to do the other six? If we can't say, I want to do his will above all. This Sabbath day for the nation was not only meant to protect them, but to provide for them, to provide refreshment, to provide for enjoyment of God. Do you remember, uh, you remember as a kid uh, that uh, there was a time when they used to make you take a nap? How many, how many by show of hands, want to go back to those days? Totally want to go back, right? I just wish somebody would make me take a nap once in a while. Don't you? Yeah, we've all thought that before. What if God said, sorry, this is my day. You're going to rest. Yeah, but Lord, I, look, I don't care how much you whine. I'm going to sit on you. You're going to nap. I, I would like that if someone would do that once in a while. Had a previous pastor and mentor who said, sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do is take a nap. I love that truth. <laughs> Kevin DeYoung makes the point this way. He says, what if the Lord, the great physician of your soul, the one who knows the right uh, prescription. What if the great physician said to us, I will give you one day in seven to attend strictly to your soul, to come and to worship, to grow, to breathe, and to be nourished on me. Would this not be a day of great gladness for us? Yeah. The Sabbath was for rest for Israel. The Sabbath was for worship It was a day, as Isaiah 58 says, to delight in the Lord. It wasn't that they were just supposed to stop stuff 
It was that they were supposed to turn their attentions to God in a special way that they didn't do on the other days of the week. We should do that. I think if you decide that you want to do something with this command, whether you feel that it is commanded of you or whether you feel, I'm not entirely sure if it's commanded, but I want it. (laughs) I want to practice it. I want to do it. And I want to be blessed by it. Then what are the things that maybe you could do that maybe you don't get to do those other days of the week individually, purposefully? Have any of us ever said, you know, I'd I'd really love to just study God's word, but I just don't have time to study in the course of my week. I mean, I read a little bit, but what what about reading Christian history? What about working on a skill that you use for worship? Maybe it's musical or artistic. Now, again, you got to decide for yourself, what does your normal ebb and flow of life look like? But is there some way that the Lord's Day could be a day where you say, I want to delight in the Lord and I want to worship him and maybe get to do some things I don't ever get to do any other time? Because for Israel, that was what this day was meant to be. It was for rest. It was for worship. Third, the Sabbath was for gathering. Leviticus 23.3, you need to write that down. That's the single verse where it's clearest. That's where God, as he is commanding all of the annual feasts that the nation will travel up to Jerusalem together to worship at the temple for three times a year. Within that same context, he establishes the Sabbath and he says, I command a holy convocation. What's a convocation? Con, together, vocation, calling. It's a calling together. It's a gathering of the people. And so, by the way, that's kind of why you're here this morning, uh, is because Leviticus 23, and, and that's just the clearest place. There's many other places in Scripture that speak of the idea. Yahweh didn't give them the choice, but to be in community, in worship. The believer who says, I, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. True, but I'm not sure that you're experiencing the fruits of what God has for you, nor Are you using the gifts that God has given you that the body needs? And there's much more we could say about that, right? The Sabbath was for gathering, rest, worship, gathering, finally mercy. There were gifts that were meant to uh, help address the needs of the poor that would be brought to the temple at the time of their gathering for worship. Also, even in the annual feasts, there were punctuated Sabbath days within the course of the feasts that could be opportunities to bring in the stranger to bring in the needy, to to bring in the poor and let them celebrate a feast together with you. So the Sabbath was a way to facilitate mercy. Mostly, though, and I have a bunch of these uh, listed there in the other page of notes that I've given you, and you guys have already will probably be thinking of them. Mostly, though, it was the Lord Jesus who, who demonstrated and taught that it was the law that prioritized mercy. Right? There are at least four or five or six different times in all of the different Gospels where he rebukes the Pharisees. And he says, hey, look, if your donkey falls under a load and he is hurt and it's a Sabbath day, do you just leave him there? If it's the beginning of a Sabbath, you say, well, let's just hope the donkey's okay. By the way, I, I read that there was rabbinic writing. I don't know if this is in the Talmud or where it was. Seems crazy, but... Um, a rabbinic writing that if a wall fell on a man on the Sabbath day, you're not supposed to work. So you're not supposed to move bricks. 
but you are allowed to remove enough bricks to figure out how hurt he is. But that's it. That was part of the rabbinic teaching. What does Jesus say? Look, if your animal is suffering, if he falls into a pit, you relieve his suffering. And then, of course, Jesus always ends that with, how much more is this not the day where she should go free from her suffering? Or he should have the healing of his withered hand? Or whichever miracle Jesus decides to do on a Sabbath this time, just to prove the Sabbath is for doing good. The Sabbath is for setting free. The Sabbath is for mercy. Are you ever wishing that maybe you could find some time in the midst of your busy schedule to help others? Maybe the Lord's day is the best time. I don't know. Maybe you're wishing that you could find some time to visit someone that the Lord has laid upon your heart, spend some extra time with them, do good to someone that he has put in your life. Maybe the Lord's day is that golden opportunity. Don't get confused. You say, well, I'm not supposed to work. It doesn't mean you don't use effort. There are ways to rightly set aside the day to turn our foot from ourselves and our ways to him and his ways. So maybe instead of watching football or whatever. So these are four foundations for the nation. And there's, there's no debate about those. The question is, what are the details of how we take those away? I'll leave some of that with the Holy Spirit and your own conscience. But what I want to do is ask, what are some solid truths from the Sabbath command that we know that every new covenant believer must abide in? We can talk about a number of things, um, and we can question what would it look like. But here are some things you can hang your hat on, okay? First, rest in God's rest. Rest in His rest. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 4, if you would, for just a second. Keep your place in Exodus. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4 is a whole passage. We won't even begin to have time to look at all of it. A whole passage about how the Sabbath rest that was given to the nation of Israel, to the Exodus generation, they largely missed out on the benefit and the blessing of it. But that that Sabbath rest still remains. When is the book of Hebrews written? Answer, in the first century. So it's some 14, 1500 years after the Sabbath command is given. In fact, it will walk through an, uh, an offer of Sabbath rest in the time of David, quoting from one of David's Psalms, so half a millennium later. And the argument of Hebrews 4, if you're going to figure out what to do with the Sabbath, Hebrews 4 has got a way huge. Because it is the explanation, the biblical explanation, of how the Sabbath rest that God offered to his people is still offered to us today under the new covenant in Christ. Christ always deepens, fulfills, and transforms the law. The, the details are always how. But make no mistake, Hebrews 4 makes it clear that there is a Sabbath rest that remains for us from way back at the time of this command but here's the thing, it's now especially ours in Christ. Look at verses 9 and 10 of Hebrews 4. So, after that whole argument that I just rehearsed for you, the author says, So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered God's rest has himself also rested from his own works just as God did from his. Here's the key words in all of that. The one who has entered God's rest now rests from his own works. We are commanded as new covenant believers 
to rest in God's rest. What in the world does that mean? It means that Christ is the fulfillment of the Sabbath rest. Now, by the power of the Spirit coming to live in us, now through the fulfillment of everything that the temple and the priesthood and the sacrifices were to point to, now being fulfilled in Christ, now we actually can enter into a rest of spirit and soul and even body that is, I would argue, more profound than even the old covenant believer could know. After creating all the heavens and the earth, you know what? God rested. Question, does that mean God was done creating on the seventh day? No. Here's the whole point. After God was done creating the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in it and all the luminaries and the skies and everything else, on the seventh day, what did he create? Answer, rest. On the seventh day, God created rest. And he created it for you. And he created it for me. Because he created you to need rest. He ordained that you would have rest. But his ultimate rest is found only in him. It's a gift to you. If you and I ignore the command to rest, we will do so only to our detriment, right? So stop. Just stop. And rest in his rest. Kevin DeYoung um, also talks about his years as a student. Um, he tells his own story of how he was brought up in a strict Sabbatarian household. I don't mean those as pejorative words. That was just his parents' conviction and understanding. So there were a number of things that they were very diligent to not do and to always do. And as he grew in the Lord, he questioned whether or not a strict Sabbatarian understanding was right or not. But what he did land on was the conviction that just for the good of his soul, he wanted to. Listen to his own brief story. You might not necessarily land on the same conviction as him, and that's fine, but you might at least appreciate his practice. When I was in college and seminary, I made what was a bold decision at the time, and I committed, along with a friend, that we would do no homework on Sundays. No reading assignments, no papers, no studying for tests. It meant rethinking my Saturdays, which meant being more thoughtful about my Friday evenings. I couldn't sleep until noon on Saturday anymore, spend part of my day watching football, hang out with my friends all afternoon, and then go out to a social event that evening, and then, then play catch-up on Sunday. I had to make some pretty drastic changes, but I never regretted the commitment. Setting aside Sunday was a habit that served me well throughout all of my studies. Sunday became my favorite day of the week. I was freed up to go to church more than once. I could go on a long walk, or I could read a book, or I could take a nap. That day became an island of get-to in an ocean of have-to. An island of get-to in an ocean of have-to. Maybe you're waiting around for someone to tell you, friend, take a nap. Maybe the Lord already has. Maybe you need to plan one into your schedule. Maybe I need to turn my foot 
and I need to learn better how to delight. Maybe need to plan a meal with him, not just a meal of food, but to feast on him, feast on his word, feast on his worship. Come, O weary soul, and rest. Rest in his rest, second. Rest in his work. Rest in his work. In Hebrews 4, we're told of an entire generation that is lost. It doesn't mean that everybody in the Exodus generation missed out on spending eternity with God. It just meant that because of the by and large generational disobedience, they did not get to enter into the rest, the physical rest in their lifetimes of the promised land. They all forfeited it, except for a couple of guys. And that generation was lost. Why, in spite of all of God's miracles, did they not get to enter into the promised land? Well, if you're still there in Hebrews 4, it says right in verse 2, For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, the author of Hebrews says, just as that generation also did. But the word that they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. So many standing there sadly at the foot of Mount Sinai. This doesn't mean that none of them believed in God for salvation. It just meant that by and large the nation was so disobedient in believing and obeying his word, so lacking in faith that they lost the temporal benefit of ever seeing the promised land. In the same way for salvation, we are called to believe and obey. Specifically what? To believe and obey God's call that when it comes to salvation, our promised land, the eternal promised land, we must stop and rest in his work. We must cease from our striving to try and earn the merit to be good enough before a holy God. Friend, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ... If you don't understand the glories of the gospel, this is the greatest news you're ever going to hear in your life. You're not only to know that you cannot earn a right standing before God, but you are commanded not to try to earn a right standing before God. Romans 4 says that God justifies those who do not work but believe in him. Those are the only ones that God justifies and makes righteous. Those who give up trying, lay aside their own efforts and say, okay, I need your righteousness because I'll never create it. And instead, we're to trust in what Christ alone has done. Romans 10, verse 3, speaks of those who seek to establish their own righteousness. The Apostle Paul grieves and mourns over his fellow Israelites who did not believe in Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah. And he said, they tried to establish their own righteousness. And so what they have stubbornly done in so doing is rejected the only righteousness that could ever save, the righteousness that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. Rest in his work. We fall short every day. But believers rest in his work. Specifically, his judgment-satisfying death on the cross and we say Lord what I have to offer is not enough but what your son offered Lord you said it was enough so I will trust in that and trust and rest in him brothers and sisters of Mountain Christian Church this morning the Lord has redeemed you 
past tense. He has already covered your sin. Even the sins you're going to commit later today and later this week, he's already covered those. At the infinite price of his beautiful son, he's covered them sufficiently. And now, he's made you his child. And the Lord Jesus obeyed where you couldn't obey so that now by his spirit he might sanctify you and grow you towards obeying more and being more like him. That is what he is doing in you. And so you can rest in his saving work. There's, I think, a second way that we're also to rest in his work. It's not just a salvation kind of work that we're to rest in. But now we get down into the details. What about the day-to-day work that I have to do to survive for my family, for my home, that I've committed to my employer, whatever else they might be, for the sake of taking care of maintenance of things in life that just seem to find myriad ways to fall apart or whatever it might be. What about that kind of work? Well, there's another way to rest in the Lord's work. Let me read to you, but you can jot down Psalm 127. Psalm 127, I'll just read to you from verse 2 because this is, I think, one of the incredibly sweet promises of grace. And Sabbath has everything to do with this, even though it's not mentioned. Psalm 127, verse 2, speaking of how we rest in his work, says this, It is vain for you to rise up early, and it is vain for you to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors. For Yahweh gives to his beloved even in his sleep. The Lord gives to those that he loves, even while they sleep. Lord, I don't have time to do all the work I have to do. Good, go to bed, and I'll do it. I don't suggest that that's your number one go-to every time you have a final exam, or you have a proposal due in the morning. But there comes a time for all of us. It is vain to rise early and vain to stay up late. Because God is able to give to his own. What a promise for a nation that lived in the midst of a people that fought at breakneck pace seven days a week. To have the audacity, the Yahweh believing audacity that we will rest. We will close our gates. We will gather and we will worship and we will rejoice in him. And you know what? I just believe he'll do it. I just believe that he will produce a greater blessing, greater benefit, greater work in the long run by us working six and him working one than he ever could by us working all seven. You think that's a mathematical formula you're willing to take on? That just maybe six plus one is greater than your seven. That's what Psalm 127 exhorts us to. He works while you sleep. He works in you even as you rest in him. The question is, can you trust Christ enough to rest when he says rest? Because that's the real issue. It's an issue of trust. That's why we need the promise that he works so that we can rest. Depend on him and not your strengths. Believe in him, Frank, instead of your own power. That's what the Lord holds out to us. Again, Isaiah 58, if you turn your foot, 
Do we believe him enough to turn our attentions away from our tasks, our burdens, and our to-do lists at some point in the midst of our week? Do we believe him enough to turn our attention to him in new ways? Coming to church, absolutely. Fellowshipping with his people, absolutely. But maybe there's more that we've never even considered what could be the richness of the Lord's Day celebration with him if given to him that we might delight in him if we turn our foot in a new way. And then, of course, to gather together with other believers and attend to his worship. Rest in his rest. Rest in his work. Finally, rest in him. Rest in him. Exodus 23, I've mentioned before, 23.12, which mentions all your slaves and your animals and everything. Make the specific point. This is for the refreshment of the sojourner and the worker and the animal, for all. This is meant to be something that is given by God as a gift, but it's found in him. Have you ever found that the things that you think will bring you rest don't? (laughs) I'm so stupid. I think that scrolling my phone for an hour will help me relax. That is the dumbest lie that's ever been told, right? We're to delight in him and make his day a pleasure. But understand this, it's ultimately not about the day. It's about knowing him. And so might we order maybe every other day of the week around him for our delight, for our trust, and for receiving grace by resting in him. The Sabbath command, brothers and sisters, if we get one thing, I hope if I take away one thing, it's the understanding that this is a gift. If we lose the Lord's day, a day given to him, if we lose it, I think we lose grace at some level, or at least a huge, huge dose of it. Stop and rest in God's rest. Stand with me. Let's close in prayer. Gracious God, our Father, we are a people of anxiety. We confess, Lord, we are a people of strife. We know too much sometimes for our own good, we worry about more than we can handle. We, we overestimate ourselves and think that we can and we must do much more than we'll ever be capable of. And the world feeds us well on this lie. Lord, today we come and we confess. Lord, we turn our foot to you. Today, Father, you are not wringing your hands. Today, our King, though there is much in this world that would grieve you, yet, Lord, you are not anxious. Our great God, Scripture says that you are sovereign and you superintend the the nations. And so all things will ultimately serve you. You, Lord Jesus, are the Prince of Peace. Let us this week be a people who emulate and reflect you. And Lord, would you show us what it means to make the Lord's day 
a place and a time of rest and worship, of gathering and mercy. We would rejoice to delight in it. We need your help. We ask you for it in Christ's name. Amen.